Welcome to Generation C, a podcast by Cobus, where we explore creativity, growth, and the good life. My name is Julius Gabel. And my name is Karl Kronika. And today we are excited to have Kasper Knudsen with us. Kasper is a Danish entrepreneur who has founded several successful online businesses, including Seja, a performance marketing agency, and an online mentor course. In the mentor course, Kasper has empowered more than 3,000 young individuals to build their own businesses through performance marketing, drawing from his own agency experience. We've known Kasper some time and have always been impressed by his drive, energy, and structure. Join us in this episode as we explore Kasper's personal and professional growth, his insights on creativity, and what brings him a fulfilling life. So one inspired me to, to be an entrepreneur and start in the business world. I think that Um, I've played football and um, just the competition, the uh, you have to work hard, you have to do stuff that other people don't do, stuff like that. I think that's very, very, very interesting. Um, so I think I just see business as a game and I want to play that game. How did you learn to see business as a game? Um, I actually don't know, to be honest, but I just think that... Um, I just started doing business and then I found out that there was a community behind it. So there was these Facebook groups called like young people to work, stuff like that, um, entrepreneurship. And I could see there was a culture and everyone in Denmark, I mean, Carl, you and I, uh, even, I think, I don't know, but probably we messaged when we was 15 uh, and it might be something like, hey, Uh, there's this, uh, you want to do this for 50 euros or something like that. <laughs> um, and this community just felt like kind of tribe. Like 10 years ago, there was all these young people. Some were doing webshops, some were doing websites, but everybody knew each other. And even though I lived in a very small, not village, <laughs> I think <laughs> village, yeah, I think village, village sounds like, I don't know, but it's like 100 people or something like that. But there is 10,000 people in, in Vade. But um, even though I lived there, nobody there was entrepreneurs. I felt like I I was in the same boat as you were, like other people in Copenhagen and stuff like that. So I think that's where I get the game from, that we were this kind of isolated community. A, who is doing websites, some are doing, you know, this different stuff, yeah. But I think it's it's quite interesting because the the mindset of viewing business as a as a game was something I personally had to uh, kind of lean into and, and learn because when I started out uh, as an entrepreneur, I, I had my feelings so much attached to everything that I did. And, and that, of course, sometimes was a good thing, but sometimes it's also nice to kind of be able to view it more as a game where it's more like, Um, yeah, about the game and not as much about like how you're feeling constantly about everything that you do, but more of moving forward with the right things. I guess it's also a really good way of keeping your head cool yeah, if you're exactly. viewing it as a game rather than being like so deeply in it that you make it a part of yourself, both when it goes well, but also when it's not going well. Yeah, exactly. I think it's very important in, I mean, in in all your Uh, perspectives of life so in relationship in business in friendship family everything like that it's very important to detach yourself from outcomes uh, because i think 
when you can detach yourself from outcomes, then you are more likely to achieve the stuff that you want to achieve. Um, I think it's very important to don't do business if the only reason why you want to do business is to make X amount of money. Can you elaborate on that? Detach yourself from from outcomes. How do you how do you do that? So I think that detaching yourself from outcomes. What I mean by that is that there is I see a lot of people they make or they set goals, and those goals that they set, they only look at the goal. So what I do, of course, I set goals, but what I do more um, is that I I make the goal, and then I kind of actually forget about it. Because then I set up my my daily life, my habits, my structure, my you know all this different stuff uh, in small task bits. So if I do those tasks in 180 days, maybe 365 days, then I will achieve this goal. But I don't look at the goal so often, and I think that's the failure that a lot of entrepreneurs do that they set a goal and they every day they look ah oh, I don't come closer to the goal but the goal is three years ahead and you can't measure 0.1% so what I do is just I just break it down and then I just do the habits and routines and I think that's that's one way to detach and then a very important aspect of that is that also that you don't um like measure every day oh yesterday revenue was only 1000 euros it should be 2300 yeah, but you have to take an average of a, of a month, a quarter maybe. Um, I think that's a good way to to detach your feelings from the outcome. I think it's so true. And I think it's also something that we at Cobus, for instance, at a, at a more like company level also have actually learned in, in terms of like when we, for instance, did the, uh, a strategy for 2022, we had a goal of winning an award, an award for some of the projects that we've done. And that was just like the, the goal underneath like our brand efforts. And then when we sat down at, towards the end of the year in 2022 and evaluated the year and looked at our goals, we looked at each other and asked the question, did anyone submit uh, like an application to 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 this award show of uh, some of the projects that we've done? And we haven't. So like what we've done differently this year has been to, of course, have goals, but then also have like, yeah, tasks or habits that we believe would contribute to, to reaching that goal. So we can each quarter or each month... Um, Evaluate: Have we done these tasks at least? Um, and that would, of course, make it a bit more easier and, and more more in your control. I I, I read this book uh, with a very American uh, salesman called uh, Grant Cadone, <laughs> um, and he he talks a lot about you know when setting goals, don't don't compromise the goal, but instead sort of increase the amount of activities to reach the goal. If you are sort of far from from the actual goal, other people they say that you should set realistic targets, and if they are too ambitious, you should adjust them because it's demotivating for the team to have too ambitious targets that you won't reach. How how do you uh, approach goal setting? Are you one or the other or something third? I think I actually want to take it a a different way, and the reason I want to take it a different way is that. I see that thing. I see a lot of people are like, you have to set goals like this, and this is the right way. And that's the exact same thing as saying that you want to treat all your employees the same. But treating all your employees the same is treating them differently because they need to be treated differently. So some people, they need very unrealistic goals and they can easily have red numbers 
day in, day out, and be on the target and still be motivated. Some people, if they have red numbers for 14 days, they will be stressed out. So it's very different. Um, my personal view is that I don't care, to be honest. And I think for most people, they would like the green numbers and you are on target, you're above target and you can uh, you can have fun this Sunday, blah, blah. But for me, I actually like to set high targets and then I just like to run, run, run. Targets in the near, near future or like, yeah. Uh, so basically um, a couple of years ago, I set targets for year. So I did like, when I went into 2021, I set a target I want to do like that. And actually both for 2020 and 2021, I hit the target with like 95% um, from the start of the year, both years, which was, I remember that my dad was quite impressed, of course. Um, but I don't do that anymore, even though it was quite accurate. What I do right now is that I only do quarterly targets and... Um, And then I measure it by month. And then every morning I see if we're on target or off target. So even though I said just before that it's very important for for you to not look at your goal all the time and to do the habits and routines, uh, I still look at the goal every day, but that's like a one minute check. And then I do all the habits and routine. Uh, I see a lot of people, they are like, you have to look at your vision board for fucking six hours a day and then you can dream about getting success and then you're there. And that's, in my opinion, a very wrong, wrong way to do it. I think it's very important to just put in the work and put in activities, yeah. Your your, uh, your technique for, for setting goals is just one uh, technique out of many. I, I watched your, your whole uh, film on YouTube about uh, productivity tips. Um, And and you know you you teach lots of, of students about uh, productivity and also um, many other things. Um, you're still quite young. Uh, I, I was just super curious to understand where where you have uh, gotten all these uh, insights on on productivity from. Have you learned it online or have you learned it from people familiar to you or or where do you get your your knowledge from? I think. One thing that I found out very early, and I'm talking like, I mean, it's not even very early because I see people who are like 13 or 14 today and they're starting to read books. And when you're starting to read books, when you're 13, 14, maybe 15, then you can expect a quite bright future. But I started to read books when I was 17, 18, more seriously when I was 19. And when I found out that I could buy a book for 200 Danish crown maybe 300 um, in years, maybe 30 euros or 20 or 35. And you could read books from some of the best entrepreneurs, some of the best professors, some of the best coaches um, you mentioned before, also Grant Cardone. Some like him, some don't like him, but I mean, obviously he's done some quite good business and you can learn from that guy for a couple hundred Danish crown, which is 20, 30 euros. Um, so I think I learned a lot, a lot from books to answer your question. And also I learned a lot from YouTube and I also bought quite a lot of courses. Um, I think I spent, I don't know actually, but uh, underneath hundred thousand euros, but between 50 and hundred thousand euros on courses throughout the five years, the, the past five years. I have sort of realized that, you know, you can also 
overdo the amount of courses and books you read because at the end of the day, it's also about actually doing what they are saying you have to do. And I think with the amount of, uh, um, what can you say, business books and, and t- content I've read by now, I haven't done all the activities that they suggest that you do. So how uh, how do you navigate that? Like, how do you figure out, okay, I will actually do these actions and I won't maybe do these other Makes actions? Makes sense, 100%. So actually recently, just, I mean, two, three weeks ago, I bought a course, $5,000 from a YouTuber called Ali Abdal. He's a productivity YouTuber. And I bought the course and I could see when I locked in, I was like, I don't know. I even didn't even count, but I think maybe 30 or 40 hours of coaching and then maybe hundreds of worksheets, maybe 50. And then I messaged my account manager from there. She's called Alison. I'm like, hey, Alison, I have a super busy work schedule. This is my business. This is where I'm at. This is my goal, blah, blah. Which, what should I watch? What should I attend? You have so many calls. You have so many worksheets. And then she sent me a quite small list. And then you can argue that I paid $5,000 to get all this content and then I don't watch it. But for me, for $5,000, if I can move myself and my business with my partner, if we can move 2 to 5% in the right direction for $5,000 in the, over the next 10 years or maybe 40 years, that's, that's a bargain. That's super cheap. And I think um, that's, that's why a lot of people see courses, in my opinion, in a wrong way, and also books. I, I, I know a lot of people, when they buy a book, they want to read the whole book. What I do, I buy a book, I look at the table of content, and then I'm like, I'm going to read those 30 pages out of, out of 350. So I don't read all the book. I've maybe read, read around 100 books, but I completed maybe 400 books, because the 300 others, I read one third. Do you read physical books or uh, do you use a Kindle? I've actually played around with the idea of buying a, buying a Kindle, but I'm not sure. I actually use, I don't use Kindle, but I do most audiobooks. Okay. And uh, the good books I also buy physically. Uh, so uh, my favorite books I have physically, that's like 30 to 50. When, uh, when in the day do you find the time to sit down and, and read? Is that in the, in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening? Uh, as you guys know, no, as you guys know. I I track everything, so I track my sleep, and I can see when I read before I sleep, I sleep better. So I sleep before I go to bed for 20 minutes. So what I do actually, before I go to bed, I put my phone in the kitchen, and then I set a timer on my Philips Hue to turn off the light in 30 to 40 minutes. Then I take a shower, a very hot shower. Then I go to to my bedroom, and then I read for 20, 25 minutes. And then suddenly the lights is off and then I take the book and I make a flip in the corner and then I take it to, to the, the bed table. These um, very disciplined way of uh, structuring your, your everyday, when, when did you realize that you had to put, put like those uh, kind of structures uh, into your life in order to, to achieve your goals? I don't have an answer to that question. I don't think so, to be honest. Uh, because I just think for me, it has come in a very natural way. And I think there was one period of my life I was so stressed out. And that period was March 2020. I had clients, in. I was invoicing my clients around 200,000 DKK 
per month as a solo consultant, which ha- obviously also which makes sense that then I had to work a lot. And then I created my course, my first version on the side. And I also onboarded new students. I did that 30 minutes personalized one-on-one. And I worked maybe 12 to 14 hours a day, including Saturday and Sunday. And that was the time when I really found out the hard way that I need to take care of myself and I need to find an employee to help me. On, on good days, I uh, I managed to to be uh, almost as, as structured as you, Casper, and, and sort of uh, schedule my day down to almost like the uh, 15 minute uh, increments. Um, and, and I know Carl uh, does the same. Um, sometimes I feel like my my um the the inner monkey in me just <laughs> um wants to uh you know detach from from the schedule to to feel some kind of freedom when you have scheduled your day uh into uh, the minute almost like that how um how do you sort of approach that when when you uh i could imagine almost have scheduled all of your days down to to the minute, to to what you do, it's a bit ironic in the sense that, of course, you're still the one making the plans, but but still, like, how how do you approach that, like, mentally? It's actually funny that I think this year, next year, will be the two years that I that I go more into the the strategy work phase, which means that my partner Morden, I found out and I come to realize that. He's amazing at executing. He can start his day at office with 70 things on his to-do and complete by zero by 7 p.m., 6 p.m. And I used to be like that. And I'm also like that in some ways, some some days today. But I also found out where I'm most valuable for the company is thinking more of, it could be like new revenue streams. It could be the strategy, how we approach things how how we communicate the stuff that we do if we should invest in a new company um because that's a thing that we actually just started because we get quite a lot of people asking if we want to join the company um and we just used to turn that down because we didn't have a setup and i don't think we have a setup yet 100% but i think that's something that i'm i'm working on right now so to answer your question um i set up most of my days very structured, but I also want to include some free time to to think actually. And that's very strange for me. That the past six months, I've added time in my calendar to think. Just think. Think about the future, yourself, your life. Yeah, just reflecting and just um just thinking about um who am I in three years? Who am I in five years? How will I make money in 10 years? Um, who will, uh, what will people view me as in, in 10 years? Um, yeah. I think that's a really good exercise. I I, uh, I got the same homework from my coach who said that Julius, you, you think too much. You have to sit every day for 15 minutes on a bench. Don't do anything and then continue <laughs> your day. Now try doing that. It's It's really good for the mentality, I think. It's very good. And... I I mean all the good people that I meet now I'm saying good I don't want to put people I don't want to I don't want to kind of uh, um I mean 
when I'm saying good people, I mean people that I'm inspired by. Most of the people that I am inspired by, they have actually time to just, I just call them at 2 p.m. They just take the phone. And I'm like, you don't have a busy schedule? Hmm. I just had a two-hour space now just to think. So you can just call me now. And I, yeah, just came to realize that people with, or who, who achieved a lot in business, they just have time in their schedule to think. You don't, you don't need to be busy <laughs> like uh, exactly. like the, the old uh, yeah myth of, of kind of and then also, being cool that you're always uh, in meetings or something like that. Yeah, that, has, that I think is so old. Um, I think it's very important to be busy if you're actually busy. But I think a lot of people, they, they, they tell themselves that they're busy and they're not busy. Um, and actually one way that I tell my team and also tell my partner and myself that in order to find out if you're busy is to split up your to-do in income-producing activities and non-income-producing activities. And if you only do stuff which is not income-producing, then you are busy without any, like, this, it's, not, it's not real. So you, you, if you're busy only doing income-producing, like really important strategy, like really important execution, getting new clients, on, onboarding new clients on sales calls, stuff like that, then, then you're busy. But you're not busy if you're, if you're in meetings like 40 hours a week, just doing some reviews, uh, business uh, weekend review or something like that. I um I, I once read a book called um in Danish uh, the gold mines and um it's about it's about talent and also uh, perhaps like debunking the the myth that talent is something you are born with but rather that it takes 10,000 hours in a particular skill to become a master of it and become a talent within that uh, discipline or area uh, and then um the the author visits like different parts of the world Uh, where there has um, turned out a lot of world talents, world-class talents from from these parts of the world that could be Jamaica within sprinting, for example. It was primarily within sports. Um, and I was just thinking, you know, with you, Casper, why why are you so good at what you do? Does your talent come from putting in 10,000 hours into something to become really good at it? Or do you think that it's because you're super passionate about it and you have found sort of Uh, you have followed a, a red thread in your life and, and things have sort of started to build on top of each other or how did you get to where you are right now? I think before answering the question, I think it's very important to say that you guys are also uh, really, really good at you doing. I mean, we are equal age, almost, kind of. Um, and I think also the reason why I want to attend this podcast is because that I have deep respect of what you're doing and I think uh, the whole way of, of viewing your company is um, I mean you're just doing a very great great job and I think that's very important also to say it's not only me I mean of course I understand I'm, I'm a guest and it has to be around me but it's very important also, important also to, to say that you guys are doing great um, but to answer your question I think it's um, I think actually my answer would be would be very similar to actually Carl because we followed almost the same journey we know each other for I don't know known like in the I don't know what it's called like not being friends for 10 years but we know each in the same community exactly least, yeah. Yeah, yeah. for 10 years um, and I think that 
I think I have combined the way of working hard and also teaching myself to do stuff because I think that is 100% in my opinion, that's my personal perspective, might not be true, but I think what people misunderstand the most is you have to only work hard. But if you keep working south, but the goal is north, then you're walking more and more away from the goal. So I think reading books is one of the most misunderstanding things in life. And also just spending time. It's hard to spend time on YouTube, which is really educational, but there is actually some good stuff there. But the thing is that people have a hard time like falling in the trap of watching some kind of stupid stuff. But I think to to find a balance between learning and executing, if you can do that, I think you can shorten your expertise stuff down from probably maybe 10,000 hours to one to 3,000 because you can learn from people who did the mistakes. And there is this book called, um, oh, what is it called? It's called, it uh, has some weird name, but it talks about that organism that learn through trial and error, they lose to organism who learn through other trials and error. And that's basically just an, another way to say that you win if you listen to other people's advice who have been at where you are, because that's also, now I know I'm talking like, I have that from my mom, I think, but I, I'm, I'm talking quite much. But one thing that I want to add is that I also see a lot of people, they take advice from the wrong people. And that's really, really dangerous. I love my mom. My mom is also my dad. They are the love of my life. I don't do everything for them. But I don't take business advice from them. I called my mom the other day and I told her how much money I lost on stocks. And she told me to sell and print the money, put them in a box <laughs> and luck. But of course I told her, hey, it goes up and it goes down. But I have to look a bigger picture. So I think that's very important to combine execution and learning. And the learning has to be from people who've been where you want to be. Don't listen to your parents for money advice if they are not where you want to be. I think that's super interesting. And that also takes us to, to another, another question in terms of listening to other people. But, you know, in Denmark, we have what we call Yandelon, which is basically some, some rules uh, that are deeply ingrained in the culture. And that says that, you know, or disdain sort of um, the focus on individual achievements. But it, it also means that, you know, if you are young and successful, um, people might come with all kinds of comments, especially if you are sort of uh, pushing yourself too much forward. Um, and it could be very normal for someone to say to a person like, like you that you should take it easy or... It's not all about money, even though you have never said something <laughs> about money in the first place. Um, how, how do you sort of handle these kind of comments and, and the pressure to be mediocre uh, and, and fit in rather than standing out and being great at what you do? That's, that might be, it's not the hardest question or the most difficult question to answer, but I think that's the most difficult question for me to answer to myself. Uh, because I think that as humans, we are, even though we say we only focus on ourselves, 
every single one of us, we are in competition of each other. And that does not matter how much you say you don't do, but everyone is a little bit in a competition with each other. Um, but what I, what I found out is that when people, they, when, when people, they, they talk down to other people, it's usually a mirror reflection of their inside, which is showing on the outside. And I've also come to the conclusion that I only take criticism from people I listen advice to. So uh, I just told Carl also I'm going to meet a very successful entrepreneur Tuesday next week. If he tells me, hey, Casper, you're on the wrong path, I'll be like, hey, I want to listen. Tell me exactly what I'm doing wrong. And I'm going to correlate. I'm going to kind of fix my, my compass so I'm walking, walking north instead of south. But if some guy who is 16, who is playing, uh, I don't know, like shooting CS, CSGO, something like that on computer, and he's like, hey, Casper, you don't know anything about money. You should listen to Warren Buffett. I'm like, okay, yeah, you should maybe also because you don't know what to do. And I think that's, uh, that's just very important that listen to people who you want to, or listen to criticism from people that you want to listen to advice from. So no matter how much that I also say that, it can also, can like make me reflect, am I doing the right thing? But then I'm asking the question, like, who is this coming from? He's a 16 years old guy who don't know anything about making money telling me that I do, that I should have sold my stocks before I lost. How, uh, how, how do you ensure then that, that the people that you actually want to listen to advice from, that they have the right context? Because I think me and Carl have had a lot of conversation around, you know, advisors and board members, etc. We've had some amazing board members and we still do, but, but they will never have the same context to where we are standing as we do. And sometimes when we elaborate on the context, suddenly the advice is completely different, which is, of course, a bit frightening in the sense that if we didn't elaborate on the on the context and we had just uh, walked the the path that was first recommended then we would have gone in the wrong direction because we hadn't given the full context diagnosed before you prescribe right yeah exactly yeah. yeah so what's the question so the question is how how do you ensure that the that the people you take your advice from have the 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 context needed to actually advise you yeah it makes sense so i can give you an example. I think people people learn from from examples. People don't like the logistic stuff, uh, logic stuff, not logistic, but logic stuff. It's not primary language; it's second language English. But I hope it's okay. Um, the guy that I'm going to visit next week, Tuesday, he has uh, I don't know, I don't know actually if it's hundred or two hundred, but he has a couple of hundred employees, and I only have a few. I have a small handful, and then plus freelancers. When I'm asking him what it's like to have employees, how should I lead, how should I lead everyone the same way without leading the same way because people want to be different. Then he might say, you have to take this test on all your employees. You have to hire this guy who is uh, kind of this uh, team um, building man kind of. Then I will listen to him because I know he has two employees. And you don't have 200 employees if you're super bad. Of course, you can have that if you're a bad leader. But um, now I know him and I know that he is a quite nice leader. So I will listen to him in that way. 
So you you base um, or, or when you look for advice from someone, you're you're starting by looking at their you know accomplishments. Could you say exactly. that? Exactly. Yeah, hundred percent. So yeah. you wouldn't take advice from you know a guy telling you about fitness training if he or she is not in good shape themselves. Exactly. Example. So I I actually have a very good example there. So um, my first ever personal trainer, he was actually from no not first second I think he was from India. He has a PhD in muscle. He has so many PhD and stuff like that. It was so like Eastern University for like 10 years, 12 years. I had him at a personal trainer. He didn't have the body composition that I wanted to have, but I listened to it. I tried, but I didn't receive the results I wanted to achieve. Then I hired a personal trainer who actually were at the stage where I wanted to be. And I became that. So I, yeah, I would, I would just say it's very important to, to listen to people who are on the stage where you want to be because they've been exactly on the journey that you are on. I think it's the same also when we talk with our friend Anas uh, um, Hoffman who did the Project Iceman. Um, like the whole purpose of, of that project was also essentially to to kind of tell the story of uh, limitations, our perceptions, and that people constantly, especially in, in Denmark, are very eager to tell you what you cannot do. Um, and and he got pissed off essentially by someone I think uh, who told him that he couldn't do a, a, an Ironman on Antarctica, um, and he like no one have never done that before. So who are to tell? And they haven't even done an Ironman, just a regular Ironman. Um, so I think it's uh, it's quite it's quite important, yeah, to to be aware of who you take advice from, but also like uh, what what context, of course, you, you I, give them. I also have another example, and that is that I'm at the moment running uh, quite a lot. I don't have a, a, what is it called? Physiotherapist? Yeah. Physiotherapist that, who is just regular and never had run before. I have a physiotherapist and a coach, running coach, who's running 120 kilometers per week. Because he, he's a physiotherapist and then he's running himself also. So he can both be the coach and be the one who's like, you have this injury, this is what you should do. But if I have, I don't know, of course I don't want to take people out, but if I had a somebody who never have ran more than three kilometers, who should uh, diagnose my um, my legs, why I was hurting as I was. They didn't know anything. So I just think that's very important, yeah. It's very in- interesting. And <clears throat> I'm, I'm totally on, uh, on your side in the sense that I would typically not listen to, uh, for example, the, the fitness trainer who's not in, in good shape, him or herself, However, there are also plenty of examples of really good trainers and coaches who haven't sort of been world class in, in the discipline they are, they are teaching. For example, Mourinho, the, the football trainer. I mean, he had a football career, but it wasn't like a world class football career. It wasn't like Zidane, for example, but he's still like a world class football manager. So, so I have personally been challenged on my assumption that you need to be the best in in your discipline to be the best in sort of teaching about it. Yeah, but I think there is, I actually agree on that 100%. But I think there is in different stages of this. So you can either listen from someone who has never ever uh, read anything about fitness and never ever been in a fitness himself or herself. Or you can learn from somebody who read a lot but never been in there. Or you can learn from somebody who's been there but never read. Or you can learn from someone who's been and read. Uh, 
And I'm what I'm what I'm saying and what I'm recommending is that don't listen to people who've never read and who've never ever been there themselves. But and I would say the best thing, the best chances of the advice is right is that they both read about fitness and they also been in a good shape. If you can't find that, either find somebody who has been there, not read, or read and not been there. So I think I would say first priority, second priority, and then third priority. And third priority, don't listen. Second, listen if you think that the advice seems to be good and you have a good gut feeling. And you actually have neurons in your neurons if you, in your gut. So when you, when you have a good gut feeling, it's potentially with high probability right. And then uh, if they've both been there and also read a lot from it uh, or read a lot about it, then you can listen. I just hired a coach actually myself two days ago uh, from Colling. He's called Klaus. He's a performance coach. He used to play rugby and um, he's very good at what he's doing. And he's all this professor, professor, professor. So he has not been where I want to be, but he has studied so much about it that I hired him. So I am not like one way only listening to people who've been there but that's just my first priority and then for example this guy called Klaus I hire him because I think he's amazing but I think it's a very good point it's very important to be yeah because I was like you know I was challenged in my own assumptions when I sort of realized this that you know it it is not always that black and white 100% Um, I, I would be very curious to hear your thoughts on uh, measuring uh, the success of your business because you say, or you said that it's it's not always about the money or the revenue, but that is one uh, quite obvious measure of success in a business. But how do you measure your success both in your business, but perhaps also just in, in your life in general? I think there is a, you can get three different answers. I think you can get one answer, which is Casper 20 years old. You can get another answer, which is live 2023, which is Casper 25 years old. And then you can get another answer in five years when we're going to do have a nice dinner in some nice restaurant in Copenhagen. And I'm 30 years old because then I can promise you, both of you, that I'm so much more experienced in life. Um, But I think Casper 20 years old, he said success is money. Casper 25 years old, which is me today, success is being fulfilled. I think success is um, having a very nice self, having some kind of wealth, so you don't have to have a, like this morning I got a parking ticket, which is 830 crowns. Obviously, I'm not, I'm not happy for that, but it, I don't care. Uh, and I think that to have the possibility to don't be sad and have a bad day and this is, you know, there's... I know quite a lot of people who, if they get a parking ticket, it messes with their, they're not, they're sad for five days. So I think that having a good health, having a, some kind of wealth, I'm not saying I have having hundred millions. I'm just saying have, have some money in the bank account. So you don't go crazy. If you just get some uncertain, like some things that you didn't expect. And then, uh, I think it's very important to have love also. Um, and for me, love is my family, my closest friends and my beautiful and wonderful girlfriend. Um, 
So yeah, success is uh, health, wealth, and love. That was it for our conversation with Casper. We hope you've enjoyed it. And as always, you can find more episodes of Generation C in your podcast app or on the Copus website. My name is Carl. And my name is Julius. And you have listened to Generation C.